Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is an irreverent copywriter and marketer. She's on a mission to stamp out gobbledygook and add sparkle to boring business blogs. She's the author of two five-star rated books about writing and blogging, blogging to win or blog to win business, how to enchant readers and woo customers is the highest rated business blogging book on Amazon. And she's a regular contributor to popular marketing blogs like Kiss Metrics and Copy Blogger. I am thrilled to have Henneke Dostermatt on this podcast. Henneke, welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So today, I didn't even know that my book was the highest rated business blogging book. <laughs> well, I looked at, I just typed in business blogging and yours was at the top when it came up. Great. Um, which I, honestly, I would have been surprised if it weren't. Yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah, that's great. So today um, we're going to talk about why it's important to create um, an experience for your readers on your B2B blog and a little bit about how to do that. But first, um, please tell my listeners a little bit more about your background. What was the path that brought you to this? Yeah, that was a very undulating path. <laughs> a strange one. My background is in traditional marketing. So I've done several marketing jobs from product management to marketing communications in both big and small companies. Um, at some time a few years ago, I was getting really fed up with my job and I decided to to make a jump and start my own business. Uh, and that's around the time I started to learn how to write. I never thought that I was a writer. I always thought writing was some magical talent that I didn't possess. Um, but I thought if I wanted to launch my own business, I needed to be able to write so I could promote myself online. So I started studying writing and I loved it so much that I decided to focus my business on writing. And so I, I wrote a lot of blog posts, a lot of guest posts, started freelancing as copywriter. And now I really spend most of my time training uh, business owners and freelancers to become better writers. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a so, crazy story, and I'm not even a native speaker, as <laughs> you can hear from my accent. Well, what I like most about that story is that you didn't consider yourself a writer before you started looking into it. So I just think that gives a lot of people, I, I think, hope and inspiration that it, you don't have to be one of those people who's always loved writing to learn how to do it really well. That that's correct. I think when you you can everybody can learn to apply simple techniques to make their writing more engaging, a, a pleasure to read, and more persuasive. We can all do that. I mean, we not all going to become best-selling novelists, but that's not what is required to write for business. Right. So let's um, let's start off on the blogging topic by talking about the fundamentals. Why why should a business have a blog at all? What are the benefits for them? And then what do their customers or potential customers get out of it? 
Yeah, so there's lots of business benefits uh, from having a blog. It can build your authority. It has uh, search engine optimization benefits, so it can increase your uh, traffic. It's a way to connect with prospects, to start conversations with them, to become really a trusted partner. And it often is the hub of a social media strategy. So uh, you publish content on your blog and you share that then on social media. If you don't have a blog, then your social media strategy will be really more curating other people's content rather than having your own voice. Um, I think what a lot of people think is that a blog is something where you share company news. This is not how I see a blog at, at all. And if you're just sharing product news and company news, then it's quite boring for most people. It's the the real the way I see a blog. It's really the heart and engine of my business. So it's where I start conversations with potential um, uh, customers from me, and and it drives leads into my business by getting people to sign up to my email list and then giving me an opportunity to sell to them. So a blog is not about selling. I really see a blogger as a mentor or a coach. So when we're thinking about a blog, what we do is, is share valuable tips and encourage people to implement them. So we solve people's problems and that's how we build our authority, gain brand awareness, get a social media following, get, drive more traffic and increase trust. Nice. And so you may you touched on it a little bit, but what are the what are the customers get out of it? And what are they maybe we should even spin that around. What are they looking for? What do you think a customer expects when they come to a blog? Yeah, so I mean there's so much information online, uh we're all overwhelmed. So we don't want to waste our time reading stuff that doesn't do anything for us. So people are looking for entertainment, they're looking for information, they're looking maybe even for some kind of comfort, uh, sort of the feeling you're not alone in certain industries. But with B2B, I think the focus will be mainly on um, sharing valuable tips, giving people useful information. Um, but to do that well, we can't just share valuable tips because that doesn't pull people into our blog post. So what you really have to do as a blogger, as a good mentor, is first you have to empathize with your reader. You show him that you understand him. Then you give him a sunny destination. So you tell him, look, might be struggling with this problem at the moment, but I can help you out with it. Um, then you share your tips. And then you also need to keep in mind that you have to inspire your readers actually to implement your tips. Because the only way to build up real authority is when people actually follow your advice and do something with it. Just reading your stuff isn't enough. So people come to your blog really to learn something, to, to get better at something. I mean, you have a blog about productivity tips. Well, they want to 
find a way to get um, more relaxed, uh, get the work done in less time so that they have more free time. If you have a B2B blog, it can also be about what can people do to um, make their job easier so they can get a promotion or they can get less uh, less stress, uh, they can impress their colleagues, whatever. There's always needs to be a benefit for the reader in your content. I like that. Um, I like, uh, of course, in encouraging people to do something. And I was going to ask you a little bit about this later, but since it's come up, you know, you're, you asking people to follow your advice, which I think in our industry is probably a missing element. There's, um, there's a lot of maybe blogs that have helpful tips about how to do something, but really making a, an explicit call to action to get them to try to change how they do something, um, is a, is a key part there, uh, to really get, yeah. as you say, to get people to come back and really bond themselves with your writing and your, your business. Correct. And that really requires you to become a little bit like a psychology gist because you need to think about what is stopping people from implementing my advice. Do they feel overwhelmed? Well, then maybe you need to tell them, okay, what's the first step I need to take? Maybe you're sharing too much. Um, do they think they can't do it? Well, maybe they need some pet talk. Um are they unclear how to do it? Well, then you need to maybe, I don't know, give them a download and a step-by-step plan or a form that they can fill in. Really think about writing is really always thinking about the reader and how does your writing transform that reader? What does it do for him? And how can you help him really take that next action? Right. And I think in our industry, all those um, suggestions are good and um it might look something like well what i want to point out is getting people to do something that is independent of your product so being helpful to them without having to make a purchase first right correct yeah i i think i mean sometimes you can share sales messages on the blog but that shouldn't be uh the the main part of your blog you're it should really be about making your reader, um, helping your reader. That should be your block purpose. How can you help them? Excellent. And so um, a lot of blogs in our industry tend to, you know, they'd be based around thought leadership. Some of them certainly are providing helpful hints, some curated content, um, or talking about their technology leadership. And I think all those things are completely reasonable. Um, but I think sometimes a company is trying to exhibit, um, you know, its technology leadership. And I look around and I think, you know, there's a lot of smart people and a lot of smart companies in the world. So being smart or having a, a technology leadership position isn't necessarily going to make you stand out. You're just one more smart person business in the crowd. So how can um, a business stand out from its competitors? And one of those competitors we're talking about is just your prospect busy life. Yeah, I mean, the 
the, there's different ways to stand out. Uh, one way is uh, to target a more specific niche. Um, because if you can speak more strongly to a specific audience, then it will be much easier to bond with them. If you try to engage a very wide audience, it will become difficult. Um, so that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is make your content even more valuable. I mean, if you look at a company like HubSpot, I mean, the information they publish for free and all the ebooks, I mean, it's quite insane. <laughs> but that's how they stand out by just being incredibly useful to to their readers um another way to stand out is being more personal i think the there is a tendency on the web to 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 forget that we are human people and we're talking with with humans and often the the content becomes a little superficial a little generic a little corporate and it doesn't really make the reader feel that a real person has written it. It's almost a little bit robotic. So by creating a stronger voice, a more human voice, I think you can stand out, especially in the B2B sector as well. Yeah. And of course, there's also visuals. I mean, all those boring stock photos that many companies use, they don't make your website stand out. Right. I mean, you have, uh, have you heard of Kronos? Uh, they are something with human resources, I think, um, B2B company as well. And they publish cartoons. Right. Yeah, I, I know a couple. fun of employment law and problems with stuff like that, you know? And, and yeah, that's also a way to, to be different and to make people look forward to your content because that's what it's all about. You want people to not read just one blog post. You want them to sign up to your email list and then to open your emails week in, week out. Exactly. Those cartoons would be, um, they would create anticipation, right? Because now someone, whether or not the topic of the blog that week is, is relevant to them. They want to know what's coming in the cartoon. It's something to look forward to. Correct. Um, as you know, I create my own drawings for my, my blog. And I know that some people click through because they want to have a look at the drawing. Not so much because they want to read my blog posts, but they want to read the, want to have a look at the drawing. And once they're there, they probably read it as well. And yeah, and honestly, I've taken the same approach lately. I, I hope I can keep it up, but I, I'm creating my drawings on the paper app partly because I can honestly, I can make a decent drawing and I'm not a great drawer, but it's one, it's fun for me and it's way faster, believe it or not, than searching through gazillion stock photos that, that do nothing. So yeah, yeah, I like your drawings. Thank you. So, um, I like a couple of things you said there, obviously being personal, be, and more like a newspaper column. Because that's what I think people's expectations when they go to a blog is, is really that it's more conversational and have and, and talk to or hear an expert from within the company talk about their, even if it's their technology, it's coming from an individual who uh, in our industry, many people would know the people in 
research and development who if you could get them to produce content whether um, written or in audio form for the blog and then transcribe they would love to hear their insights from someone they know i mean yeah i mean that that's great i mean r&d people want to hear from r&d people not from marketeers right <laughs> i mean that's maybe a bit of extreme way to say it but there is a lot of truth in it um and there's a lot of authority with the people who work in R&D. Yeah, exactly. So the scientists um, on the outside want to talk to the scientists on the inside and really get the inside scoop, not the filtered, edited, um, polished version that is boiled down to next to nothing, maybe. Correct, yeah. Yeah, and the stories behind the scenes are much more interesting than the, the polished marketing stories often. Right. So um, tell me, Henneke, a little bit, um, give me a few of the key elements that make an enchanting blog post. Yeah, well, we were just talking about writing styles, and I think that is, is very important. Too often people write very long sentences, very long paragraphs, use a lot of difficult words. Um. And that makes it hard for the reader to to read a blog post. So, of course, I mean, if you're technical, writing for a technical audience, we don't want you to dump the text down. You need to use the words that your audience uses. So I'm not against using technical words or jargon as such, but be wary of your readers and do they understand it. But two, two ways to quickly make your content more readable is to reduce your overall sentence length and to break up long paragraphs and introduce more white space. And then we were talking earlier about a blogger as a mentor and the, and the roles you have uh, of showing empathy, showing a Sunday destination, sharing tips and being inspirational. Now, these four uh, roles you have as a blogger translate very well into an easy blogging template. So an enchanting blog post starts with showing empathy for the reader because when you show the reader you understand the problem he has, he's more likely to listen to you. So that's what you do in your opening paragraph. And then you tell your reader also that, look, you might be struggling with this problem but I'll help you solve it in this blog post. Then, of course, the, the main body of the blog post is about sharing the tips and how to actually solve that problem. And then the last paragraph is about inspiring your reader to actually take action and really think about overcoming any objection to getting started. What, what can you do to really make that person take the first step to implementing your advice. So, I mean, yeah, there's lots of things to talk about uh, with blog posts, but I'd say those are the, the, the key elements. Writing for your reader, make it easy to read by cutting your, your sentences, um, in making the paragraphs shorter as well so that there's, it's more relaxed to read with a lot of white space. And then writing for your reader so that he really gets pulled into reading your post and wants to 
keep reading on and is excited to implement your advice. Those are all uh, fantastic tips. And I love that how you just packaged all those into the complete template for writing a blog post. I want to point out a few things. So the number of words in your post is unchanged regardless of how you break up the paragraphs. So I see a lot of large, large paragraphs in our industry. And I don't know if we're trying to save paper, but there is no paper on your screen. And if you think about it, when you start to make really small, uh, short paragraphs, it it really is more inviting to the reader. So I just want to reinforce that. It makes it so much easier to say, I'm going to jump into this thing and it will keep going. But it's just easier to read. It's easier on the eyes. And then um, when you're talking about short sentences, I want to I'll put a link in the show notes to the Hemingway app, which I find hugely helpful for letting you know how difficult your text is to read. And it really helps me with the long sentence problem because you can and sometimes I'll let them go because it has to be said that way. But I always look at it and say, can I break this in two or three pieces? And I just go through every the one, every one it pulls out and can I make it shorter? And you definitely get an easier to read blog post. And again, if you want people to come back, easy is better, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the other thing I see happening a lot in B2B blogs is that the font is very small. Yes. And that's so... <laughs> uninviting as well. Just, I, yeah. I mean, have a look at a blog like Medium, Forbes, look at the font sizes they use and try and introduce that on your blog. And honestly, think about your audience. I mean, in our in in our industry, I mean, the people you want reading your blog are probably approaching, you know, wearing the same readers I'm wearing right now. So, uh, I had a product manager point that out to me when she looked at our website and she goes, how does anybody read this? <laughs> Can yeah. we make that bigger? I don't know. So um, anyway, so yeah, make it easier to read. So um, let's talk about gobbledygook because this needs to be called out. I think people recognize it, but well, First of all, tell us what you think gobbledygook is and then explain the experience that someone gets when they read it, which is probably different than what the person who wrote it thought they were going to get. Yeah, gobbledygook are, are words that usually had some clear meaning in the past, but they've been so overused that they really lost the meaning. They sound empty. I mean, I'm talking about word like awesome, amazing, ultimate, revolutionary, pioneering. These are all, I don't know, typical marketing or PR words that make people sound good, but in reality make the text just sound like marketing <laughs> and not like a real human person talking to you. Um, so, uh, and there's a, there's this confusion often about power words. And I mean, there's a lot of talk about using power words in our writing to make it more powerful, attract attention. But that doesn't mean that we need to use these words that are so overused because, I mean, 
yeah, pioneering. Is it really pioneering what you do? I mean, yeah, if you were the first person to climb Mount Everest, you're a pioneer, definitely. I mean, possibly if you invented the first, I don't know, MP3 player. But otherwise, <laughs> I mean, unless you find a cure for cancer, I don't think what you're doing is that revolutionary or that pioneering. So let's just be real with people and talk about the specifics. What is it that's that's special about your product? What is it you want to talk to people about? I mean, it's, it's a little bit, I mean, it's not a gobbledygook word, but people tend to use easy words like good or nice or bad but if you really think about it they're not very specific because let's say uh, you share uh, presentation tips and you describe a situation um, where a salesman did a very bad sales presentation I mean yes you can say it was a bad presentation but that doesn't explain to me in what sense was it bad? I mean, did the guy come across as creepy or slimy? Was he utterly boring and dull? Or was he talking in a very monotonous tone? What was the problem? Were his slides so cluttered you couldn't figure out what he was trying to tell you? So a lot of good writing is about being more precise, being more specific about what you want to tell people and avoiding these bombastic words that people put in PR releases because they don't really know what they're talking about. Yes, I, I love that. And I think that was a great example. You covered a couple things there. And yeah, on, I'm going a bit fast, maybe. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's I, I want to turn that around. So you talked about pioneering. So a lot of the people in the life science industry, they they do create products that are new and different and special, and they may be pioneering. But the re reality is, every other company is creating pioneering things too. So to use that word, you you're you're still not standing out, and yet your example of the presentation. Let's be specific about what this does, and. Without saying pioneering, if you can explain what your product does that's so special that makes it different in a specific way, first of all, it's more attractive and more likely to stick with somebody. And in my opinion, it sounds more confident. I think you know people hide behind those words like pioneering, revolutionary, your most challenging application. That's my pet peeve it just doesn't it leaves it open to the reader to figure out what that is and um, you may think they all know what that is but um, a specific example even if it's not the one that's particular to that specific reader is still more engaging than um, a broad statement yeah it's really about filling in uh, the details this technology is completely new because this is different, and this is what it does than for the, the people who use the product. Right. And, and it, it's all about, I mean, good writing is about painting clear pictures in people's minds and making them feel something. So the words like pioneering or awesome, they don't paint a clear picture. 
people can't visualize that. It's just a word. So what you want to do is really think about, okay, how can we make people imagine using this product? Yes, you could have been reading ahead in my notes because my next question was to talk about So we just talked about specificity, but also had a question, you know, just to talk about sensory words and, and which, which may not seem intuitive um, to our life science writers, but I, it's that whole thing about painting a picture. If, if your blog can paint a picture and make people see something, you're heading yeah. in. Paint a picture or make them feel something. And there's really uh, some science behind this as well. Um, I mean, there has been research, and I can pass you some links about if people, um, if you paint a clear picture, then people remember your words. It's more likely that they remember what you told them. And also, there's some um, neuro. Uh, science research into the use of sensory words and this was um, I'm not sure whether that was specifically related to restaurants but there is also research about restaurant menus and and it really shows that when people read uh, a word that um, is about a texture like fussy or furry or rough then they really the the area in their brain lights up that that as if they are feeling it. So you engage more of the brain when you use sensory words than when you use uh, normal words. So if you say I had a rough day, people will experience that slightly different than from when you say I had a good day. Yes. And, and in restaurant menus, they did research and they found that if you use um, more sensory words or more nostalgic words, you make people feel something and they're more likely to, to buy your, your, uh, those dishes too. Nice. Yeah. And just to point out, People don't use different parts of their brain when they're at a restaurant than they do when they're in the laboratory. That yeah, that, that advice yeah. applies everywhere. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so we yeah. are... we're we're all human beings. We want to connect with human beings. We don't want to hear from companies. So a blog works better if it's a human voice. Right. So, yeah. So let's talk about going back to humans. So I skipped over this and I want to come back to this now because we talked about some power words that lacked meaning, but it's also possible to use power words to grab attention and maybe specifically in headlines and I'm thinking, but not necessarily in headlines only. And this is one thing that I, you know, it's a constant battle for me, um, Sometimes just to think of them, it's not a willingness to use them. But in our industry, life science and chemical analysis, people tend to take things seriously. They think our customers take things seriously, and and they do. They take their science seriously. But how can a blog writer in in this industry get comfortable using the right power words without feeling like they are going over the top and risking their credibility? 
Yeah, so you don't want to to overdo it and and start using those words like ultimate. You you can I mean if we think about words that attract attention in headlines, they can be for instance unusual words like possess. So um I mean it's it's an oddly written word <laughs> with yeah. those uh, um uh, and and not often used. So when you use that in a headline, it will grab attention. And I don't think it's a word that I don't know makes you feel makes it feel over the top or something like that. Other power words are words that are a little um, are sensory, as we talked about before. So. Rather than saying uh, bad um, or good, think about whether you can use a slightly more sensory word, uh, like, I don't know, delicious or seductive or persuasive or um, just something that has, has a little more flair. And you don't have to push it this too far. Just go a little step out of your comfort zone, write it down, leave it overnight and look at it the next day and see whether you like it or not. Um, and there can be, power words can also be more emotional words. Um, sorry, I'm just losing it slightly here. Um, so we think like, for instance, a, a phrase like warning signs is very um, strong when you read warning signs that you, you feel some reaction, almost physical, you know, you think like, ooh, warning signs, do I know these things? So if you write a headline with seven warning signs, your, I don't know, your next project is going to fail or your, or your, your scientific test is going to fail, then that's quite powerful. Fail is a powerful word too, because we all want to avoid failure. So the warning and the failure make that quite a strong uh, headline. Exactly. So that that's that's exactly what I, I guess I was looking for is is to think about your word choice. You know, fail as opposed to won't work. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> up the. I always say turn the volume up a little bit. Don't go overboard and put it on maximum power, but just turn it up a little bit. Just go for a slightly less often used word, a slightly stronger word in terms of emotion or a slightly sensory word. I mean, even dull is better than boring often. Right. Nice. So, um, I'm getting close to wrapping up here. We talked already about having a call to action at the end of your blog post to try to make people do something. And this always sticks in my head because I heard it and I heard it from you, but secondhand through the copy blogger folks. And um, I think it was Jared and, and Damien talking about something, but the phrase shrink the change. Is, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strength and change is uh, a phrase that Chip and Dan Heath uh, use in their book, Switch. And the idea is if we want to implement 
um, change in, in an organization or with a person, then we need to make it easy to, to take that first step. And one way to do it is to shrink the change. So don't expect people to go from being a very bad writer to being <laughs> the most engaging, most popular blogger just by reading one post. So think about, okay, what's, what, what's the change? What is the difference people can make after reading this post? For instance, the change could be, okay, next time you write, go and have a look at the white space. Reduce your paragraph, everything over six lines long. Cut the paragraph in two or three. Nice. So that's a very small change. Every can do, do it. It's very specific, and it will make an immediate change to how the blog post is perceived. Excellent. Yeah. And in the laboratory, maybe it's... Um, Use this checklist next time you start up an experiment to make sure that everything's going to go right for you. Download Correct. the checklist. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Make it easy for people to implement your advice. Right. Uh, I love that. And so I just think I want to just highlight making a call to action at the end is is really important. And I think it's something that, you know, we're not always used to doing, especially in something that I would consider long form in marketing. Maybe uh, it's probably a different definition from what you would think, but um, you, you write a fairly lengthy post and maybe it's a thousand words and it's very descriptive, but the point is to get people to do something. So I like Correct. That. Yeah, because if they just read it and then go back to what they were doing before or read the next blog post, then, yeah, you've missed an opportunity to make a change in their lives and to make them remember you. And, yeah, even a small change um, is a change. And small changes over time all add up. And if you can help people do their work better, then, then they'll appreciate you and you'll be recognized as a authority and you'll become the go-to brand. That, and that's, yeah, bingo. That's what we're shooting for. Um, I'm going to wrap up a little bit here. Just you know, point out a blog is a fair amount of work for companies um, to find the person who can write or people, several people who can write. And it's, a, it's an investment of time, if nothing else. So I think it's worth learning how to do well. And um, so we've talked um, a lot about blogging. Where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah, you can find me. Uh, my website is enchantingmarketing.com. Uh, and all the contact details are there on the about page as well. So happy to get emails with questions or connect on Twitter. My Twitter handle is uh, Henneke D. That's H E. Double N E K E D, and I I highly recommend you um, check out Henneke's blog. Um, you will learn something every week. It makes it easy. It's fun. Um, this whole conversation has been fun and enlightening. Dare I say, enchanting. <laughs> and I want to thank you so much for joining to me and sharing all these tasty tips on blogging. That's great. Thanks. Delighted to speak to you. Been a uh, pleasure. All right. Thanks, Henneke. Henneke certainly knows what she's talking about when it comes to blogging. Make sure that you check the show notes on the website 
wordstowow.com to um, find the link to her site, the Hemingway app, and the articles and a book that she referenced in the interview. I'd like to hear from you what you think of the podcast. Are you enjoying it? Are there um, people that you would like me to interview or topics you would like to have me find people to talk to about? Send me an email at chris at words, the number two, wow.com. And I will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.